Tan Ferrer Taxes, Sea of Our Environment. An Oxfam report on carbon inequality identifies problems but fails to come close to any meaningful solution. A report from Oxfam published in September, titled Confronting Carbon Inequality, and based on research carried out with the Stockholm Environment Institute, has found that the richest 1% of people globally cause more than double the carbon emissions of the 3 billion who make up the poorest 50%. Report author Tim Gore describes how extreme carbon inequality is driving the world inexorably towards a climatic disaster. Despite being couched in somewhat woolly language, the report nevertheless exposes who is the leading cause of man-made climate change. Mr. Gore focuses on how global carbon emissions are attributed to individuals who are the end consumers of goods and services for which the emissions were generated, ignoring the elephant in the room that is the production of and fuel for weapons of war, a sector of production so vital to the continued domination of the handful of rich imperialist countries. Respectable Endorsements The report opens with a quote from former United Nations Secretary-General Ban Ki-moon. He points out that our current economic model has been an enabler of catastrophic climate change and equally catastrophic inequality. Hindu Umaru Ibrahim, environmental activist and president of the Association for Indigenous Women and Peoples of Chad, follows. Oxfam's timely report shows once again that to tackle climate change, we must fight for social and economic justice for everyone. My indigenous peoples have long borne the brunt of environmental destruction, continues Ms. Ibrahim, as she calls for the world to prioritize saving nature to save ourselves. The trio of esteemed endorsers is completed by the International Trade Union Congress General Secretary Sharon Burrow, who, in true reformist fashion, calls for a just transition and a voice at the table for those most affected by the climate emergency. Masking economic inequality with carbon inequality. New research reveals the extreme carbon inequality in recent decades that has driven the world to the climate brink, says Gore's briefing, before setting out his stark findings. The richest 10% of the world's population were responsible for 52% of the cumulative carbon emissions, depleting the global carbon budget by nearly a third in those 25 years alone. The poorest 50% were responsible for just 7% of cumulative emissions and used just 4% of the available carbon budget. The richest 1% alone were responsible for 15% of cumulative emissions and 9% of the carbon budget, twice as much as the poorest half of the world's population. The richest 5% were responsible for over a third of the total growth in emissions, while the total growth in emissions of the richest 1% was three times that of the poorest 50%. Such is the world under the capitalist mode of production, where 63 million at the top of the heap do more than twice the environmental harm than do the 3.1 billion souls, a number almost 50 times greater, whose toil supports those at the top. Stark as these figures are, we suspect it would be even more illuminating to see what proportion of the top percentile is accounted for by the 0.1%, or even the 0.01%, the real super-rich. 
with their lives of luxurious leisure, conspicuous consumption, and indescribable wealth, travelling between their multiple residences, with large retinues in helicopters, private jets, and super yachts. The global carbon budget alluded to above is defined as the maximum amount of cumulative emissions that can be added if the rise in average global temperature is to be kept below a certain level, such as the Paris Agreement's 1.5 Celsius goal, after which net emissions must be zero. Unless emissions continue to decline rapidly, as they have done during the months of lockdown this year, Gore warns, the 1.5 Celsius global carbon budget will be fully depleted by 2030. A sobering thought, to be sure. Tellingly, the report admits that, at present, inequality is such that the richest 10% alone would fully deplete the carbon budget by just a few years later, even if everyone else's emissions dropped to zero tomorrow. So while we, the working class, are endlessly lectured about the need to change our lifestyles, to cut out some of the supposed luxuries of life, such as eating meat and travelling by plane, and to accept that saving the environment means going without, it turns out that all this privation won't actually make a blind bit of difference, so long as the richest members of this decaying society, in their wild extravagance, are busy negating any and all effects of our sacrifices. The point is driven home further still. Over the past 20 to 30 years, the climate crisis has been fueled and our limited global carbon budget squandered in the service of increasing the consumption of the already affluent, rather than lifting people out of poverty. Once again we see how, in capitalist society, wealth is hoarded and consumed by those who are already wealthy beyond reason. The super-rich use their wealth and power to firmly entrench themselves in place, and to fund a lifestyle of decadence and waste without limit. The report continues. Yet while the pandemic triggered a chaotic and often inequitable contraction in consumption around the world, it has also shown that once unthinkable changes to the lifestyles of the richest in society can be adopted in the interests of us all. Sadly, the gentlemen at Oxfam are not referring here to socialist revolution. They have in mind an idea much more acceptable to the rich. Public policies, from taxing luxury carbon like SUVs, frequent business class flights, and private jets, to expanding digital and public transport infrastructure, can cut emissions, reduce inequality, and boost public health. Era of Extreme Carbon Inequality The 25 years from 1990 to 2015, says the report, saw a rapid escalation of the climate crisis. Global GDP doubled in this period too, and while there was significant progress in reducing the proportion of humanity living in extreme poverty on less than $1.90 a day, income inequality grew around the world, with the share of national income captured by the richest 1% increasing in most countries. It is striking that in 2015, even after that huge expansion in global GDP, nearly half the world's population still earned less than the more realistic $5.50 a day poverty line. One estimate, attributed to David Woodward's Incrementum ad Absurdum, current rates to lift everyone above the $5.50 poverty line, a terribly inefficient and morally indefensible approach to poverty reduction. This is indeed a damning indictment of the capitalist mode of production, further proof that it is utterly unfit for purpose 
and ripe for destruction. Woodward's estimate is, of course, something of a thought experiment, totally detached from reality. In reality, if the imperialist system were somehow to stagger on for another 200 years without making the planet uninhabitable for human life, or succumbing to the inevitable wave of socialist revolutions, the current rates of poverty eradication would not stay the same, because inequality, the gap between the absurdly wealthy capitalist class and the increasingly destitute working class, would continue to increase at an ever faster rate. Let it be noted in passing that almost everywhere apart from China, the number of people in poverty continues to grow. It is only China's titanic efforts at reversing this trend that allow Western statisticians to claim otherwise. This is an injustice which is felt most cruelly by two groups who have contributed least to the climate crisis. The world's poorest and most vulnerable people around the world today, already experiencing the impacts of a world that is one Celsius hotter, and future generations, who will inherit a depleted carbon budget and an even more dangerous climate. Terrified of calling a spade a spade, the report meanders on. It is vital to recognise that the income-based carbon inequalities explored here are intertwined with and reinforce other power structures associated with gender, race, age or caste, among others. Hiding among others is, of course, the most important of the power structures, class. That is, how a person relates to the means of production, be that as an owner or a profit-creating appendage. Tackling Carbon Inequality Where to start? Today's extreme carbon inequality is, according to Gore at least, the result of political choices made over the past 20 to 30 years, a period dominated by neoliberal economic thinking and elite political capture that has seen income and wealth inequality in most countries soar, reflecting deeply entrenched systems of patriarchy and colonialism that prioritise domination and enrichment of some at the cost of others. In fact, inequality is not a byproduct of political choices, but of the capitalist system itself. Apart from a short period of wealth redistribution, under pressure from a mobilised working class, and advancing international socialist movement, wealth disparity has grown exponentially throughout the last three decades of capitalist production, alongside the relentless accumulation of society's vast wealth into ever fewer hands. Leaving aside the bourgeois feminist allusion to capitalism as a so-called patriarchy, or the fact that colonialism was a feature of early capitalism that was long ago replaced by the systematic looting of the world's poor through imperialist super-exploitation and control, let us merely point out that today it is not some who dominate and are enriched while others suffer, but a preposterously tiny handful of people, numbering in the tens, who grow absurdly rich through the exploitation and expropriation of the overwhelming majority of humanity, numbering in the billions. So where does Oxfam suggest we start? Well, beyond shifting energy supply, policies are needed that reduce demand among the richest, highest emitters, while prioritising efforts to ensure everyone can realise their human rights. Apparently, the capitalist class is supposed to support policies to be enforced by governments that they control, that will decrease its own consumption and redistribute a little of its wealth. This is patently nonsense. As for ensuring everyone can realise their human rights, dream on. The only right that capitalist society recognises 
is the right of the capitalist class to make maximum profit at the expense of the working class. All else is a fairy tale. Dreamily, the report continues. Beyond cutting high-income footprints alone, such measures may lead to a broader social tipping point that makes reductions by other relatively high emitters more acceptable, challenges the political influence of high emitters, and sparks wider shifts in social, gendered and racial norms about endless consumption. Despite the best efforts of Oxfam, however, the real social tipping point we are inexorably moving towards is that of revolution, which will not simply challenge the political influence of high emitters, but utterly destroy it, placing political power firmly in the hands of the working class. Exactly what the gendered and racial norms about endless consumption might be, we leave it to the listener to determine. Economic Recovery from COVID-19 Undeniably, the pandemic triggered an unplanned and often inequitable contraction in consumption around the world. Quite deniably, however, it has also shown that governments can act radically in the face of an imminent threat, and that once unthinkable changes to the lifestyles of the global rich can be adopted in the interests of us all. The global rich can, thanks to the status and power their wealth conveys upon them, largely disregard the diktat of any governments, whose decrees do not fit in with their agenda. Consumption and lifestyle changes by these parasites in the interests of us all will not be brought about by governmental decree, but only by force, either at the forceful behest of a rising working class whilst capitalism still exists, or, more likely, by the forceful imposition of a new social order once the working class has captured state power. Oxfam's report closes by appealing to governments to consider the introduction of carbon taxes to reduce the obscene inequalities that have been identified, critically, incorporating principles of social dialogue at all levels, to ensure that the voices of workers in affected industries, women, low-income and marginalised groups are heard in designing just transitions to an economy that keeps global heating below 1.5 Celsius, and a society that enables all its members to thrive. In fact, the idea of increased taxation as a panacea to the ills of capitalism returns over and again like a refrain through the document, the age-old beseeching cry of the reformer to the capitalist to think again, to please be a little kinder, a little saner, a little more equitable, and a little less obviously rapacious. The report is big on euphemism and woefully short on anything approaching a meaningful solution. From Ban Ki-moon's sideways reference to the economic model that is doing all this damage, and Hindu Umaru Ibrahim's call for social justice, the reader is taken thus far and no further. Mr. Ban stops short of naming and shaming capitalist imperialism and its reckless drive for maximum profit at any cost, as the model that lies at the heart of the man-made environmental crisis, while Ms. Ibrahim's plea for social justice is rendered meaningless by removing it from its proper context. That context is the understanding that social justice is essentially a corollary of economic justice, which in turn can only be brought about by means of a socialist planned economy and working class state power. Just as the economic system of capitalism is presumed to be eternal, so the position of the working class within that system is assumed to be our fate forevermore, one of supplicant subservience, reduced to begging humbly, as Sharon Burrow does in the introduction, for our voice to be heard, eternally doffing our caps and never presuming to rise above our allotted station. 
the truth that so persistently evades the likes of Oxfam and its fellow hand-wringing would-be reformers is that if we truly wish to solve the problems facing humanity, not only so-called carbon inequality, but the economic inequality that underlies it, and which brings so much hunger, destitution, despair, and endless wars in its train, the only solution is socialism, the abolition of the capitalist imperialist system by the working class, and the building of a socialist planned economy. Only then can the world's people live in peace and prosperity, and our planet be treated with the respect that it is due. The most useful aspect of Oxfam's report is that it decimates the fairy tales put about by so many privileged environmentalists of overconsumption being a universal problem. As Mr. Gore has laid bare, consumption by the masses is actually going down, even as carbon emissions continue to rise. Calling for a further contraction in the consumption of the poorest clearly makes no sense in light of this fact. Socialism doesn't require the masses to stop consuming, quite the reverse. The whole purpose of the socialist revolution is to remove the fetters currently holding back production and to expand the consumption of the masses so that a decent, dignified, and cultured life of peace and plenty can be lived by all. Of course it ought to go without saying that we will have to find ways to do that which are sustainable and which preserve the environment on which we depend for life. Equally obvious should be the fact that socialism will swiftly do away with the wasteful squandering of resources, whether for extravagant lifestyles, such as those being lived by today's super-rich, or for the production of endless throwaway pieces of plastic and other goods that serve no useful function but to create profits for the corporations that churn them out. In a socialist society, wealth is the collective property of all those who create it, and is used to continually improve all aspects of life for the working people, by raising their level of education, raising their level of culture, increasing their standard of living, and freeing up their time, by shifting tedious drudgery onto machines. Under socialism, science and technology are put at the service of the workers, in order that they can solve such vital problems as the need to live sustainably and in harmony with nature. You've got to be red to be green.